This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Santorini Asiatico. It's the ultimate terroir grape, taking the fine wine world by storm. Appreciated as never before, yet also under unprecedented threat. We'll find out why from Yanis Paraspakapoulos of Gaia Wines, a Santorini Asiatico pioneer. With its amazing ability to retain high acidity in the scorching summer sunshine, Asiatico is now a sought-after grape for the modern world an era of climate change, making it to the Greek mainland and even to the other side of the world in Australia. But it never tastes as good as it does when it comes from Santorini, the volcanic island or more accurately small craggy crescent of islands to which it is indigenous. So why is that so? And how could it be simultaneously more successful than ever before and more expensive and also under threat like never before, thanks to the boom in tourism on Santorini. Who better to ask than one of the pioneers of Asiatico, Yanis Paraspakapoulos, co-founder of the Gaia Winery and a world authority on the grape variety. Yanis, uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. Welcome to The Drinking Hour. Hello, David. It's great to uh, have you with us. Um, and there's so much to talk about with such a a small island, uh, as Santorini. Uh, but let's do a little bit of history first, uh, because it kind of sets the context. Santorini was created by the mother of all volcanic eruptions uh, in 1600 BC or thereabouts. Um, just uh, tell us a little bit about what happened then, not that you remember it, of course, and uh, how that... Uh, absolutely cataclysmic explosion created what you have now. Well, it was a cataclysmic event uh, that has shaped the island as it is today. Uh, obviously, the island pre-existed this eruption, which on geological terms, it's not that old. I mean, going back 16th century BC, for geologists, it's not that old. Uh, the island pre-existed, uh, and then the eruption uh, uh, around uh, the 16th century BC shaped what we see today. Uh, it is a very, it's a mesmerizing uh, island to see. The, the views are spectacular. But at the same time, all the volcanic ash that uh, was deposited on the island uh, has, has created this uh, very specific soil, volcanic ash, on which we are planting our vines. And then we actually owe all, all the attributes of our wines to this 
relation between our grape, Asiatico, and this very young volcanic soil. And just tell us a little bit about Asiatico as a grape variety. <laughs> well, it is a variety that you will be hearing more and more of for a number of reasons. Uh, and, you know, I will leave for probably its quality at the end. The reason that you will be hearing more and more in the future it is that, uh, you know, unfortunately, courtesy of global warming, uh, the wine growers around the, the globe, the winemakers around the globe are searching. Uh, they're in agony to find white varieties that can actually uh, deliver uh, great results under uh, warm and arid conditions. And it's exactly where Asitico excels. Uh, it's so well adapted to this uh, climate, which is now the, the, new, the new normal in most wine-growing areas, that Winemakers are looking into it, truly. Asitico, uh, a part of being a, a quite, a, quite an aromatic white variety, although those aromas are not very well expressed on Santorini, but on, on uh, normal uh, soils and climatic conditions, it's also quite an acidic variety. Uh, it retains a very low pH in most of, of times. And also, it's a bit of a, 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 a grape with a phenolic character. Having said that, it's also quite resilient, so uh, you can really grow it quite easily uh, without uh, much of a hassle. You're right, obviously, that it is a grape that we're going to hear a lot more about. We are already doing so. Um, it's grown successfully in Australia, on the other side of the world, uh, obviously very successfully on the Greek mainland, but it never, ever tastes the same as it does uh, from Santorini, does it? And it, would, and it wouldn't, because basically the Santorini Asiatico, the wines of uh, the Santorini Asiatico, as said, are so much linked to this bizarre soil. Unless you have the very same soil, uh, you won't have the same results. Uh, I think it's the most pronounced case that I know of where there's such a direct link between... Uh, a grape and the terroir expression. Actually, I, I, I wouldn't go very far by saying that on Santorini, you really sense what terroir means. I 100% agree. And I said in my <laughs> recent column for Club Analogique that uh, yeah, terroir is actually still doubted by um, a, a few people um, around the world, uh, although there are people who think that the world is flat and so forth. So <laughs> but actually, if you come to, to Santorini and you taste a Sirtico, and then you taste an Sirtico from the mainland, uh, which we did at your winery when we visited uh, a few weeks ago, um, there is a striking difference between the two, isn't there? Totally. Totally. If you want, I can explain. It depends on how much time we have in our disposition. I can explain very briefly why this soil has such an impact. On yeah, go on. Please do. Well, you see, there are some key words. Uh, there's a lot of talk around volcanic uh, soils and wines coming from vineyards growing in volcanic soils. Uh, but nevertheless, all volcanic soils are not uh, identical. In our case, it's a very young soil. It is a soil that, that has no clay. And the absence of clay is, is crucial. It is crucial because, A, uh, it uh, cannot, the, the soil cannot uh, retain any water. So lack of water, it means that our yields are dramatically low. 
Thus, the concentration of the wines is very, very high. Uh, lack of clay also means that our soil cannot birth uh, this bug, uh, phylloxera, that you know, which allows us to grow our vines to a, uh, to, to a point that they're really very old. Uh, in our case, we have, it's, it is the standard in our case, uh, our vines have roots, root systems that go back four to six centuries. And by having such a mature root system, because of the lack of clay, obviously, we can basically, th- those roots can colonize a huge volume of the soil. So more the roots are exposed to a bigger volume of soil, more they're exposed to minerals, and more you have a terroir expression. And then, you know, these are the main, the main two reasons, but also the fact that uh, we have uh, absolutely no humidity in the soil also uh, allows us to grow our vines practically in an organic way, which means that our soils are very, very healthy. The microflora of the soil has been uh, retained, and this microflora is the vehicle of the minerals into the plant. Thus, you have better chances of expressing, of expressing minerality. So, you see, uh, the fact that, that it's a young volcanic soil l- leads to have no t- to absence of clay, and absence of clay leads to what I described. On the same time, well, you have all kinds of minerals, but, for instance, you have very low concentration of potassium. That leads to very high acidities and low pH, a kind of wrestling, if you may, behavior, which is very odd, taking into consideration our climatic conditions. And then to buckle it up, if you may, it's not just the soil. Tiroir, it's not just the soil. Tiroir is the environment in the most, uh, if you may, uh, extended uh, meaning of the word environment. The fact that our vineyards are very close to a very salty sea also comes into play. You see, it's quite windy. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the Aegean Sea, is a much saltier sea than the Atlantic Ocean. So you have all this sea spray that finally ends up on your berries. And when you say sea spray, well, basically you mean salt, you mean sodium. And well, yes, uh, at the aftertaste of those wines, you have a very distinct, but it's, it's, it's there, you cannot, you cannot not see it, a very distinct uh, savory, dryness, a salinity nevertheless, that on its own, what it does, it yet again boosts minerality, whatever minerality may be, but on the same time it also boosts the food friendliness of those wines. So there you have, in a, nut, in a nutshell, few of the basic co- components of this environment, the soil, the wind, the proximity to the sea, that all of them actually lead to wines with a, a very, very distinct and, and different character of what we are uh, used to uh, uh, to taste. Nevertheless, also, uh, though this acidity and this low pH is striking for wines that are coming from such a low latitude and low altitude at the same time. That was like a three-minute masterclass. It was uh, wonderful. Um, to elaborate on, on some of those themes, um, 
I want to talk about the wind, actually, because um, anyone who has been to the Cyclades uh, will know that it can get very, very hot. Um, but there's always, or almost always, this very powerful, very refreshing wind that keeps you cool. And that is um, very critical for your vines, isn't it? Called Meltemi. Yes, the, this uh, northerly, northerly east wind, Meltemi, it's essential. I would go even as far as to say that if we didn't have this wind, probably we wouldn't have any vine growing on this island. Uh, the Meltemi, basically what it does, it drops temperature uh, considerably. Uh, just this last week, we had uh, two consecutive heat waves in Greece. On the mainland, temperature was above uh, 40, even 42 degrees Celsius. On the islands, on Santorini, it never exceeded uh, 37 which is a blessing. Uh, it moderates uh, the the uh, how should I say? It moderates the rate of maturation of the grapes in in a good way. Uh, but also because of this wind, we have absolutely no cryptochemic disease on our vines. You see, we are obliged to grow our our vines very very low, very close to the soil uh, because exactly of this wind and. In most cases, the bunches of grapes are basically touching the soil. They're lying on the soil. Under any other condition, those grapes would rot. Well, they do not rot in our case, A, because A because of uh, the resilience of acertical, B, because basically this wind dries out uh, everything and fungi have zero chance. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, the Miltemi is a blessing, no doubt. Not to mention, that, as I as said, but also uh, because of the Miltemi, we have this distinct dryness, saltiness, uh, the aftertaste of our wines. Yes, and the way you uh, grow those vines, as you mentioned, is very unusual, very close to the ground. Um, no. They don't really look like vineyards to be honest um in the kind of traditional sense they look like someone has dropped um a sort of uh, uh, randomly a series of birds nests uh, large birds nests around the uh, around a kind of uh, rocky outcrop it's uh, quite a, an amazing thing to to see um it's called kulura um just tell us a bit about kulura well you know it is quite funny Many Greeks will ask us, but there aren't any vines on Santorini. Where do you get your grapes from? Basically, they are there, but they are looking up on those vines, but they do not recognize them as such because their minds are tuned to see normal trailing systems like Cordon Royale, you know, like uh, conventional vineyards around the world. No, because of the wind and because of the very strong sun, uh, we are obliged to actually create, uh, yeah, it has been created many centuries ago, and it's, it is the only prevailing system. Basically, we are, every year, the new uh, vegetation is being coiled around, and slowly, slowly, a basket is formed. Now, this basket-shaped vine actually protects clusters, uh, uh, grapes, both from winds, but also from the scorching sun, because the canopy that will develop well, will, will provide shade. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for this 
Kulura, for this system of conduct, we would lose our grapes every year, either to the sun or to the wind or to both. It is the only sustainable system, but but unfortunately there is the uh, the negative, if you may, if I may say negative. Uh, it is very long. You have you need to be very skillful to do that, and we are losing slowly, slowly this know-how since the young growers are basically inexistent. So it's the old timers that know how to do that, and then it's very time consuming. It's even to prune a hectare. It will take you four times longer than if it was a normal trailing system. So yeah, uh, it is the only one that leads to those results. And on the, on the other side, it's too difficult to to maintain. You see, if you would see uh, an average uh, vine, let's call it what eight years old. And when I'm saying eight years old, I mean not the root system. The root system is pretty pretty old. I'm talking about what you just see emerging above the ground. And if you would take this vine and uncoil this kulura, you would have probably something like 150 meters of wood in length. It's quite impressive. It's incredible. It must be backbreaking to work these vines because they're all at ground level effectively. Very difficult, yes. Totally, and this is the biggest issue. Uh, which makes me not very optimistic for the future. The way that we grow our vines does not uh, allow any level of, of mechanization. No robots until this point are so intelligent to do what we are doing in our case. Uh, so yeah, as we are, as manpower becomes uh, more and more scarce, uh, I really don't know. I, I really don't know if at this point, uh, David one would offer me, let's say, 20 hectares of uh, a new vineyard, I would say thank you, but no thank you, because I'm not sure I would have the manpower to work with those wines. It's really striking that a Sietico from Santorini, on the one hand, is being Mm -hmm. rightly recognized as one of the world's fine wines, you know, up there with Burgundy and so forth, um, and is commanding you know, good prices, therefore. And on the other hand, wine growing, vine growing is under threat. Totally, yes. I know. And, you know, you could probably understand the reasons uh, for uh, socioeconomic reasons that we will not go, won't go into them right now. Uh, the size of each exploitation, it's quite small. It's very rare on this island to find a grower that owns, let's say, more than two hectares. So if you consider that the yields are dramatically low, they never exceed 3,000 kilos of grapes per hectare. This is the top maximum. Uh, so if you consider that the, yield, the yields are very low and the exploitations are very small, you can easily understand that one cannot make a living out of it. So it always remains for this grower a side thing, but not the main job from which he extracts what he needs to survive. So they all have their normal, uh, ordinary businesses and, 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 and lives. And then on the side, they have a small vineyard and they are, they're doing their best to maintain, maintain it. And so to make your wines at 
uh, Yaya, you're dealing with dozens of um, growers, basically. Sure. It's a bit like it's a bit like champagne. You see, uh, in champagne, for practically the main reason, cost of land, the big champagne houses do not own their vineyards. They do have their vineyards, of course, but they those vineyards represent a very small fraction of their production. They need to work with growers. They rely upon uh, upon independent vine growers to have their grapes. Well, it's quite the same on, on this island. Uh, wineries like ours, yeah, and other all wineries, we own uh, a fraction of the vineyards that we need. But basically, our production relies upon our relation with vine growers. And that is a, a complicated way to do business, although, as you say, it's done elsewhere uh, very successfully, uh, most notably in Champagne. There's also okay. um, a significant um, cost uh, element for you as a, a producer because um, it makes uh, for very expensive grapes, potentially, doesn't it? Oh, totally. If we would compare prices... Uh, the average price of a Sirtico of Santorini, it's basically 10 times higher of the average price of a Sirtico of the mainland. So, you know, a factor of times 10, it's considerable. Yeah, and then you presumably have lower yields than you do on the mainland as well. Oh, totally. On the mainland, the yields would be four times higher. Hearing all these things, you know, it, it's a wonder that you do it, really. Well, yes, that wasn't the question that I was afraid of. The question that I was afraid of that you might have asked David was, and what what does the future hold? And this yeah, is the question that I was that coming to that, asked. but uh, well, getting there slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, us winemakers, by nature, we are very optimistic. If you're not optimistic, you don't do this job. You do you do other things. Definitely, you don't do vines. So by nature, yes, we are optimistic. But in this one case, gee, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I can't see. I can't see the way out because the most important uh, uh, incentive that would be, for instance, more money to the growers, the vine growers, doesn't apply here because, as I said, the exploitations are so small and the yields are so low. That regardless how much money you will be giving to them, that wouldn't be enough. So I can't see really the incentive that we can put in place uh, to maintain wine growing on Santorini. It's a pity. It is a pity because without any doubt, we are talking about the oldest vineyard of the planet. And I, I know that might, that may, might be very surprising for for our audience, but Greeks are not great storytellers. If this vineyard existed in another country like Italy or France, everybody would have known about it. But Greeks are kind of hiding things. Uh, don't ask me why, but it's the way it goes. So, But yes, this is the oldest vineyard of the planet that has never ever been replanted since the 16th century BC and probably even, even uh, longer than that. So yes, we're just about to lose probably the most historic vineyard of this planet, which at the same time yields wines, which are quite, quite mind-blowing. I don't know. Uh, it is a food for thought. Yes, it's certainly sobering. Just for context, it's worth pointing out that I think in kind of 50 years, the number of vines grown on the island 
has reduced by well over half, hasn't it? Oh yeah, 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 totally yes. At one point, the entire vine- the entire island was a vineyard, and all families that lived on the island uh, were uh, into it and were actually working in the vines. Now everybody, uh, all the locals, they just work for tourists. Yes. That brings us on to mass tourism, because I first came to Santorini uh, in the late 1990s. I came again in 2006. I came again in, uh, I think, about 2017. And I came again recently. And every time I come, uh, the island has changed dramatically. And, and, Frank, I've got to be honest, not for the better, um, because mass tourism, uh, because you have a very good airport, and, and good transport links to the other islands and the Cyclades as well. Santorini is so beautiful. Uh, its reputation uh, is now well known. And this is actually uh, both a blessing and a curse, really, because mass tourism uh, is also doing a lot of harm to Santorini, isn't it? Well, it is, as you said, a blessing and a curse. It's practically on everybody's bucket list that they need to come just even for a day or two on this island. And that does create huge issues. And these issues have to be uh, dealt by the local community. Uh, and it's irrelevant also to vine growing. The, the, the parish of the vineyard, it's uh, a side effect. It's a, a, it's a collateral, collateral damage, if you may. Yes, I've been on the islands. I'm not from Santorini, but I first came in 1974 uh, in an era that some cities like Ia, at the north of the island, didn't even have electricity. So I've seen all this mutation. And as you said very correctly, David, it's not, it doesn't go to the right direction. I know. It's funny to think that you have this little dot on the map, which measures 25 kilometers from north to south, which is practically on everybody's bucket list. Ah, <laughs> what can I say? Some would say, oh, you're so lucky being there and working there. Well, no. For many guys like us, unfortunately, and it, it hurts me to say so, Santorini has developed to be the place that uh, I love to hate. Yeah, I can imagine um, that impact from mass tourism uh, creates obviously mm-hmm. a huge amount it's of not, income and, and employment. But but employment is also an issue because you have, as I understand it, full employment or or actually sort of negative employment, as in there are more jobs potentially than people. And that's actually really challenging if you need people to do back-breaking work in a vineyard in the scorching sun, isn't it? No, they won't do it. No, they'll do something much easier. Drive tourists around, for instance, or rent mopeds like the ones you've rented the other day. Yep. It's a quite um, a bleak picture, in, in a sense. This is, a, as you say, the oldest vineyard in the world and very much a wine style that is being celebrated and is you know, worth saving. So what can be done to protect and preserve a Sirtico from Santorini? <laughs> as I said, I don't have the answer. Let's suppose, let's take uh, as a case, let's say that Honestly, uh, incentive, money to the growers, it is the only way to approach the problem. Let's, for the sake of the argument, speculate that we are doubling the price of grapes. So we are boosting the incentive to the extreme. And instead of spending at this point the average price per kilo 
uh, of acetyl-CoA, it's five, five euros per kilo. Let's, for the sake of the argument, suppose that we are paying them 10 euros per kilo. That would lead those wines to be on your, the average Santorini would be on, on a wine shop in London for not less than 60 euros. And now here is the question. How many of your consumers would be willing to spend, not in a restaurant, but in a wine shop, 60 euros for a Greek wine, for a bottle of Greek wine? I'm not sure that you would find many. Not because the wines do not deserve it. They do, by far. But because Greek product, it's, it's seen as something of, a, I wouldn't say lesser quality, but most of consumers do not suspect that this level of quality could come from the European South. We are not seen and judged upon the actual quality of what we produce. We are judged upon what you think that we are, which is quite unfair. So yes, from one, from one hand, David, you, personally you and many others would like to see those wines and those vineyard, this vineyard uh, re prevail and remain alive. But then on the same time, how deep are you willing to put your hand in your pocket? Fair question. So, I know, but you need to answer the question because it's, I'm in a position to actually place very well the problem, but the answer to the problem does not, does not rely upon me and what I will be doing, but also what you will be doing for those fines. I chaired a roundtable discussion with uh, uh, a number of um, importers, uh, many of them you know, very, very experienced in uh, Greek wines historically, because it's a relatively new uh, phenomenon in the UK, certainly compared to uh, some of the other great wine regions. Um, but it was interesting uh, yeah, in our yes. discussion. Uh, we, we, we all kind of, we all, uh, 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 there was a general consensus that actually, Um, a Sietico from Santorini is worth more. The, the price, because it's already a, a, a premium wine, but certainly not by some of the upper echelons of Burgundy, not those kind of prices. So um, th th I think there probably is, hopefully, some headroom there for people to pay a bit more for a Sietico from Santorini, myself. Hopefully, yes. I feel that we are running behind time And I think, and this is one of our problems, I think we've lost valuable time in making this grape and these wines known to the greater public. And now we are paying this, uh, uh, the, this handicap that we have created. We should have made those wines known much, much earlier. So we lost, probably we lost the momentum and now we are running behind time. And time doesn't go, uh, you know, in our favor. And not only because we are losing manpower day after day, but because also climatic change is here. And climatic change is dramatic. And it is very pronounced in, our, in, in the south uh, uh, east of, the, of, the, of Europe, in the Mediterranean Basin. Uh, we see the climatic conditions of what we face now are so different than what they were 30 years ago. It's a joke. I'm saying to my darling uh, daughter that she's the winemaker of the winery, I'm saying, darling, learn how to grow 
uh, agave, blue agave, and learn how to make tequila because you might be needing it in the future. Yes, again, a, a sobering thought. Um, Santorini tequila. Um, I, I don't think uh, I'd want that in place <laughs> of uh, a, a Certico. Um, let, let's celebrate the wine then, because we've talked in sobering terms about the threat, um, but we should really celebrate what it is that makes um, uh, uh, Santorini Assetico so special. We've talked, obviously, about the terroir, and you gave us that uh, mini masterclass uh, on the factors at play. But but from a, for someone who is not well-versed or has maybe even never tasted um, an Assetico from <laughs> Santorini, just try to... To, 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 um, to, to sell us um, what it is that makes it so special uh, in the glass. I'm not much of a salesperson, but I'll do my best. Well, if you are 20 years old and you are just start to experience wines and in, try to see what wines are, good God, don't even try to try Santorini Asiatico. You won't like it. If you are, you know, around this young age, go New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. It's easy. It's fruity. It's passion fruit. It's exotic. It's hollow. Uh, it's pleasant. And, you know, and it's something that everybody can grasp. On the contrary, Asiatico, well, it's all about elusive things like minerality, structure, depth, uh, things that in order to appreciate, well, you need to know your wines. Otherwise, it won't be that easy. So on the one hand, there are wines, they're, they're not aromatic. Acetico is aromatic when it grows on conventional soils, but Santorini, no. So it's not about the, the aromas. It's about the structure of the wine. Uh, and if one would have said, you know what? It is a wine that ages beautifully for many years, so you can lay it down and uh, it will mature uh, amazingly. And you can combine that with fatty meat uh, and, you know, uh, duck, for instance, or lamb. Uh, probably you would be thinking, oh, he's talking about a, a red wine. No, no, I'm talking about a white wine that sometimes behaves like a red wine. Quite acidic and extremely food-driven. There was this song, uh, it was an American sommelier, very well known. At one point, she said, you know what, Yanis, you are so lucky having this uh, Santorini Asiltico. And I said, well, yeah, I know, but, but why are you saying that? Well, she said, when you have a very difficult pairing between a wine and a recipe, and you can't find a, a way out, Choose a Santorini Asiltico. It may not be perfect, but it always works. And it is true. I mean, from very obvious pairings, which are mind-blowing, like oysters, from that uh, starting point to, as I said, very, very fatty meat as duck or lamb uh, do brilliantly with those wines. Wines which, although not aromatic, are very stubborn and very persistent and have a very long uh, lingering and savory finish. Probably, you know, I'm too much in love with this grape. And uh, at this point, uh, 
whenever I taste other, other white wines, I always have this, oh, damn, there's always a lack of acidity <laughs> because I've, I'm so much used to this striking uh, cleanness of acidico and, and this cutting-edge acidico that basically is the vehicle to uh, food pairing. That's, uh, I, I miss it when I don't have it. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, it has this mind-blowing structure uh, and this you know, incredible uh, minerality, salinity, um, that is, um, you know, just striking, almost alarming sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it's not a wine to sit and, and sip uh, on a summer's afternoon, not least because they tend to have uh, relatively uh, high alcohol levels as well, of course, don't they? Yeah, 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 they do. Uh, easily uh, 13.5, 14, but on the same time maintaining a very fresh acidity, very good levels of acidity, regardless of the fact that alcohol is quite present also. They are very serious wines. And uh, you do generally with Assyrtico in Santorini, you, you work with the lees quite a bit, the, uh, the, 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 the spent yeast cells, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we do, quite in- intensively to bring in more, uh, well, actually better incorporate those tannins that Assyrtico does have. And if you do not manage to incorporate to soften them with those leaves, well, the wines become a bit harsh. And I need also to say, you know, we are one of 18 wineries that exist on the island. And I'm in a very comfortable position to tell you that regardless which acetico you will choose from, regardless which winery, quality is there always. Yes, that's and very true, and and very gracious of you to say so of your of your of your rivals. But there is an incredible consistency, isn't there? There is, and you know, it's not. There are two reasons into that, if you may, David. One is that we are eighteen, and we discuss, we talk, so we actually we confront uh, issues uh, and uh, what we face, we discuss. So it's not surprising that we end up finding. Uh, same solutions uh, so we avoid problems that doesn't mean that the wines are the same each winery has its own style obviously uh, but uh, the fact that we are tuned in practically sharing a common technology uh, also has uh, uh, helped a lot in having consolidated uh, uh, a style of wine if you may on the other hand, the terroir impact is so intense and so great that even if a winemaker makes a minor technical mistake, well, you know, the terroir impact uh, uh, overrides that. Uh, so, yes, I'm very, very accurate by saying that if you are just for one day on this rock and you choose to, to experience just one glass of Assyrtico, of Santorini, of any winery, well, chances are that this would be a very good wine. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. Tell us a little bit about your winery, about, we would say Gaia um, it, in English, but yeah. uh, we, I should yeah. say Yea, I think, uh, if, if I want to uh, try and uh, sound Greek. Um, you established this uh, or co-founded it in um, 1994, Correct. And you also make wines on the mainland in Nemea, I should say, as well. Tell us Correct. about the winery. 
Well, uh, 1994, we've started. Yea means earth in Greek. It's a Greek word. It means earth. And uh, we own, uh, at this point, two wineries. Uh, the one that you visited in, in Santorini, uh, mainly working with the Pacifico. And uh, a second winery, larger in size, on the mainland, on the Peloponnese, in the appellation of Nemea, where we mainly do reds based, yet again, on a Greek variety called Agiorgitico. Well, the concept of there from day one was to work exclusively uh, with the Greek variety. We don't believe that the world needs yet another Cabernet. So the idea was to work basically. Although I'm uh, trained in France, where I've lived for five years in Bordeaux, uh, I saw no, no interest in trying to create copies of wines that others do. So, yes, mainly Greek varieties, exclusively Greek varieties. And your daughter, Lito, you mentioned earlier, uh, she's now in charge of the winemaking on Santorini. She's since uh, 2021. She's the boss on Santorini. I'm here just to, you know, just to pre- uh, if she needs any help, I can provide that or provide some answers if needed. But she does the, the calls. She, she calls the, the shots. And since 21, it's, uh, it's, it's she that does the wines. I still have Nemea under my belt. And does uh, Lito sort of, uh, does she share your um, concerns about, um, about the future? Because she's, she's really just starting out in this world, uh, in the well, wine world. Lito, she, first of all, she's a biochemist. She studied in the UK. She's a biochemist. She loves wine. I think she loves wine more than I did at her age. And definitely she knows more winemaking than I did at her age. Uh, it's nice to see, interesting to see, uh, she has a very different style in, when it comes to winemaking than I did. Uh, so surely that we already see that into those wines. But yes, uh, she has her own style. Uh, if she shares the same concerns, well, you know, my concerns are, are, are so uh, obvious and I think all winemakers on this island, we all share the very same concerns. So it would be impossible for her not to be tuned with that. We all know what the issues are. We all know what we will be facing in the future. And we all know that we don't know what the future holds for us. It's a, a worry, for sure. But then then there is so much to celebrate with uh, uh, Santorini Asiatico. So... Um, it, it is, you know, we're back to sort of blessings and, and curses uh, again, uh, I guess. But you know, it is such a, uh, a special wine that you uh, produce on the island in such a beautiful place, albeit somewhat trammeled by uh, mm. uh, uh, tourists these days. Um, so we, we wish you the, um, the very best of, uh, of good fortune and, and hope that you find a way through uh, these challenges, because uh, you know, I think I think the one thing w- that is absolutely certain is that uh, a Sietico from Santorini is something that is definitely worth protecting for generations to come. First, we need to survive this current uh, harvest, which seems a very difficult one, since the yield is seventy-five percent less than last year. So <laughs> we need to overcome Gosh, and this. That's first. dealing with incredibly low yields in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, as, I, as I said, 
normally yields in a, in a, in a good year are close to 3,000 kilos per hectare. This year, it's going to be like 70% less. Wow. So basically at the point of not being sustainable. Another saving thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Uh... And as I said, winemakers are very, very optimistic. But the public at one point needs to know what we also face to get those wines out there. And why some would say, you know what, they're too expensive. Oh, yes, they are. But if you cons- if you really ask me, well, in reality, they should be twice the price that they are at, at this point. It's difficult to argue with your point. Uh, I-, I think you've made it very effectively. And as I say, we, we um, you know, wish you the... Uh, the very best, especially with a uh, a challenging yes. harvest. But um, I, I I should also say, just to round off, you are right next to the runway at the airport, which sounds dreadful, but it's not because you're you're looking out at the at the Aegean. It's absolutely beautiful spots you're in, and it is the most fantastic place uh, to come for a very well priced glass of wine uh, before heading back uh, from from the airport. So. I would urge anyone to do that. You are in a, a really amazing spot there, aren't you, uh, Yanis? Yes, we are. It's very, it's very beautiful, it is. We've been very fortunate. Both our wineries, the one on Santorini, but also the, the other one on the Mare, are so very well located and views are, are spectacular in both cases. So it's a blessing, yes. It really is. And as I say, a damn sight nicer than spending more time than you need to in that uh, rather pokey but... Uh, uh, very useful airport. Uh, Yanis, it's uh, fascinating talking to you um, and you, you you paint a sobering picture, but you also communicate your uh, passion for a Seatico from Santorini uh, very effectively as well. So we wish you the very best and and, and enjoy that view and uh, and a glass of a Seatico. I wish I was there. Thanks for joining us. David, many thanks. Have a good evening. Bye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. Okay, let's round off with some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame focused on the wonderful world of Greek wines and spirits. Today, let's begin in Santorini with a gold medal winning wine, Estate Argyros Cuvée Evdemon 2019. 100% Asiatico from one of the greatest names, uh, the largest estate producer on Santorini. And here's what the panel said of this wine, giving it a gold. Generous white peach, lemon and lime zest lead to a vibrant and energised palate with a streak of stony minerality. More tropical mango is supported by well-integrated nutty oak notes through to a persistent and youthful finish. Also winning a silver, another wine from the same stable, Estate Argyros Asiatico 2021. 90 points for this from the panel featuring Master Sommelier Eric Zviebel, Master of Wine Anna Sapangiu, Waitrose buyer Marien Rodriguez, and the panel's overseen by our friend Sarah Abbott, MW. Here's the tasting note for this silver medal winner. Passion fruit, peach and herbs lead to pear on the palate with bright, fresh acidity, a round mouthfeel and mineral freshness. Vibrant and juicy, they said. Well, across to the Greek mainland next, a Moscofilero from the Peloponnese, 
Lafazanis Winery, Geometria, Moscow Falero, 2021, was a strong silver medal winner with 92 points, the panel praising its very interesting layers of candied fruit, chamomile and tropical nuances flowing through to a creamy and ever so slightly spicy mouthfeel with a well-rounded long finish. A gold medal winning Ouzo next, because we can't really talk Greece without referencing an Ouzo, can we? Uh, seven Epta Gold Premium Uzo won 95 points. Among those assessing it, David T. Smith, Ivan Dixon, Anthony Moss, MW, Stephen Kennard and Steph de Camelo. The panel said this, an elegant expression of bright aniseed with a complexity of malt and savoury notes, structured and firm with a depth of licorice, baked seeds and burnished caramel notes, displaying a balance of sweetness with anise-rich intensity on the sharp finish. And finally, Axia Mastia. For the uninitiated, Mastia or Mastica is a liqueur seasoned with mastic, a resin with a slightly pine like note uh, and flavour, um, delicious uh, digestif if you haven't tried it before. And this one from Axia won a strong silver with 93 points. Beautiful looking bottle as well. Uh, the judges said this, a complex and herbal nose of fennel, anise and green pepper. Plenty of bright citrus and lemongrass with earthy undertones on an integrated finish of lime and curry leaf. Well, that's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to Yiannis for a fascinating, if somewhat sobering, uh, chat about Santorini and the wonderful Asiatico and the challenges it faces on Santorini. Uh, do check out uh, Gaia, the winery, if you're visiting. Uh, it's right at the bottom of the airport runway, which doesn't sound very promising, but it's um, it's facing the sea and has the most amazing uh, views of uh, the sea. It's a great place to uh, wait out uh, your flight um, and try some really fantastic wines in the process. Santorini Asiatico was the subject of my recent column for Club Onologique. You can find that at clubonologique.com. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. Club Onologique is on there as well. And I am there too as Mr. Venusaurus, my alter ego on both those platforms until next time though goodbye the drinking hour with david kermode in partnership with club onologique the world through the lens of wine and spirits to find out more about food fm and our content go to foodfmradio.com